Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Obviously, normally this has got to watch the tape, but uh, we're doing a little bit different this week. Uh, we're going to do a big round table and we go through a bunch of free agents that the Browns uh, are looking at this year. Free agents on their own team. Uh, so we're talking Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley, David Njoku. We, we go through a bunch of guys uh, for a little over an hour and talk about maybe what the Browns should do, shouldn't do. Uh, all of that stuff. And by the way, we don't discuss Baker Mayfield very much on this pod. This is a Baker Mayfield free pod for you, for the most part, here on a Thursday. Okay, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, I tell you about it every day, but seriously, you've got to get on board. Daily newsletter delivered right to your inbox. Access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And you can become one of our text subscribers where we text you updates, breaking news, analysis, all sorts of great stuff. So cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info. Get signed up. Here we go. A Thursday roundtable. Here we go. A roundtable here on a Thursday for you. We're going to go through some pending Browns free agents or cap casualties. Scott put together a list for us, and that's what we're going to start with. Let's get right to it. The first two names on this list that Scott sent us, they are headed for unrestricted free agency. They were both here on one-year deals. Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley. Clowney has been really good. I thought McKinley has been good too, but obviously he tore his Achilles, which complicates things. Let's just start here with Clowney because this is a really intriguing decision that the Browns might have. And we talked to him last Friday. He seemed pretty happy in Cleveland. He has probably had his healthiest year in a while. He's had his most productive year since he was in Houston. So Mary Kay, why don't you start us off here with Jadavian Clowney and the decision the Browns have to make on uh, on him? Well, you know, Jadavian Clowney has actually exceeded expectations this season. Uh, he's having a really nice year. He did everything that they wanted him to do, except for throwing the shoe in Pittsburgh. Uh, that was not on the list of uh, things that they wanted Jadavian Clowney to do, obviously. Um, that marred an otherwise really nice season by him. Uh, in addition to... Uh, you know, really upgrading the run defense. He pass rushed like crazy. He didn't even, he didn't just compliment Miles Garrett. He was an excellent pass rusher in his own right. And I think he has seven sacks right now, which is uh, way more than he's had over, you know, since he was in Houston with JJ Watt and had nine and nine and a half in back-to-back years there. So excellent season for Jadavian Clowney. It will result in, an offer from the Cleveland Browns. They will try to sign Jadavian Clowney. That's a, a foregone conclusion. 
Uh, it's just a matter of what he wants because he is at that point in his career where he can dictate a little bit of where he wants to be, where his family wants to be, what kind of weather he wants to be in and those sorts of things. So they want him and it will come down to money and how much he wants to be back here. All right, so Scott, 20th among edge rushers and pressures. Uh, like Mary Kay mentioned, his sack total is up to seven. Um, I'll double check that too, but that's the most he's had since he had nine and a half uh, one year in Houston. So obviously the production has been there. I'm sorry, since he had nine in Houston in 2018, he had nine and a half the year before. I, I still think this is complicated though. I don't know if it's as simple as like just bring him back. Well, yeah, he's a definite upgrade, I think, over what they had from uh, Olivier Vernon. Um, and when you add in the guy who we're probably going to talk about next, that's just a nice compliment to Miles Garrett. Uh, however, I mean, the Browns were still like middle of the pack in pressure rate. And while Clowney, uh, I think he had, what, 49 pressures according to PFF? Yeah. Um, it's still a question of age. It's still a question of, can he be out there every week at this point? Uh, I think what this was the first year he'd been to training camp in forever. <laughs> uh, and he even noted that. So yeah, it's going to come down to what they want to pay. I don't know if you just, I have no idea what you pay him, but I do know that he's better than what they've had. I, I, I probably feel better about paying him closer to what he might want if the Browns had had a bigger jump in pressuring the quarterback as a front line this year. So, so Doug, let me ask you this. Let me phrase it this way. Would you bring Jadavian back on the contract he just played on? Yes. And so that would be like a year and somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million. Would you go beyond those numbers? I mean, it's what that, that's why I think this is complicated with with guys like this, you sign a guy on kind of like a one-year flyer deal like this. And it's like, if it doesn't work, you're disappointed. And it's like, oh, well, but it was only one year. We tried. And then you move on. And then when it really works, it's like, oh, awesome. But the, the context has changed. And just because you wanted a guy at one year for 10 doesn't necessarily mean that when he's a year older now, if he wants a multi-year deal or more money, that, that it fits even though you really like the production. So I, I could imagine this. I think the idea of this, I'm not so sure that the idea of like veteran guy looking to rehab his career a little bit, who wouldn't mind playing opposite miles Garrett to sort of juices value for a year might not actually be the right fit. Like that guy rather than clowning. Because that version of Clowney was perfect, but but maybe I don't know if a, a bigger deal would make as much sense. And then just go find the next guy who's like, all right, it's the revolving door of Miles Garrett's going to help me look good. But I did think they missed him. I thought they missed his run defense when he wasn't in there. And I thought that was noticeable. And that pairs very nicely with Miles. So if that, I'm all for him coming back, but I'm more skeptical about given how well he played, will the money work out? Yeah, actually, I think that's the problem. I think Jadavian Clowney, the player that we saw this year, is a no-brainer that you want him on the Browns. But if you, no, like we're going to get into this with all these guys. But I think in this particular instance, it's the money and probably more importantly the years. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think there are still, even though he's had kind of this resurgence in Cleveland, there are still like some questions on probably how sustainable this is given his age. I mean, what he's 29. Um, and I think there's also just the question of how bad does he actually want to be here? I know when we talked to Miles Garrett and him on the same day last week, Miles made that comment about some guys just want to be in Miami. And like, you know, that is true. You know, if JV and Clowney likes the weather down there and would rather be in Florida, uh, then it might not matter. And he might kind of take this as the, you know, career resurgence that it was and, and try to get his next deal if somebody else can pay him more. But I did think it was interesting kind of building off that last point that Doug said, um, I subjected myself to watching the Manning cast yesterday and rewatching the Pittsburgh game. And when Aaron Rodgers was on in the fourth quarter, he specifically said that not having Jadavian Clowney in that game was a huge difference maker for the Packers. And like, obviously he mentioned miles essentially playing on one leg because of that groin injury. But I mean, I, I think there's some plenty of respect out there for him with what he can do, especially against the run right now. So Mary, can you give us a, Oh, go ahead, Scott. Uh, I was just going to point out real quick. I, whatever they do will probably let us know a little more about how the Browns uh, value edge rushers. I know they broke the bank on Miles Garrett, uh, and I don't think anybody's going to dispute that he can do things other people can't do, but edge rushers overall have a lower impact. Like if you're going by analytic models, they have a lower impact on wins and losses uh, than what they're paid. Like they're number two in salary. They're, they're, bottom four in impact interior defensive lines at the bottom. So, and we've seen a lot of turnover on the interior of the defensive line over the last couple of years. Uh, so that might be a revolving door opposite miles Garrett. And if they don't sign Clowney again, and if they don't bring back McKinley, maybe that's the thinking there that, yeah, we sunk a lot of money into miles Garrett, but we're going to make sure we don't put too much money in edge rushers because they don't have the impact that so many other positions have. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to audible here. I was going to ask you something different, Mary Kay, but I think we should probably loop Tack McKinley into this as well. He was next on our list. Realistically, what is Tack's situation coming off that Achilles? We saw obviously Olivier Vernon suffered his in December last year. We've not heard from Olivier Vernon since he's older though. Tack McKinley is still young. So I, I guess what, what is Tack McKinley's future as, as a football player? Like, when could he realistically return? Well, he, he's, got, uh, he's got some time. He needs some time to recover from this. It's not as long as it used to be, um, but I would think he needs at least a good eight months uh, before he can really say, I'm ready to get, get out there and, and try to play some football. So I think that the Browns will be in wait and see mode on Tack McKinley. This is not going to be one of those situations where they, I don't think they're going to re-sign him right away in March at the beginning of uh, the flurry of free agent signings. Uh, and I don't think that other people will necessarily be clamoring for him either. Uh, I think that he did find a home here. I think he's a case that um, I think he needs a team and a group that really believes in him and the Browns did. Uh, and so I think it's a, a fit, but everybody needs to see uh, what his health is going to be like. So I think realistically it would be a mid season signing. I don't think it's going to be a March, April thing. So, so Doug, you were probably of, of all of us, the highest on the McKinley signing. And then, you know, the, the math changed on a little because he initially signed, it was like, oh, is he going to be the starter? And it turned out he ended up being the third edge rusher. 
and and now kind of in hindsight, people have asked, what does Moneyball look like in football? I feel like this was a very Paul D. Podesta Moneyball type move. Find an undervalued guy, sign him to a really good contract, find the perfect role for him, and profit from there. I, I thought he was really good this year when he was on the field for them as that third edge rusher. And I, I wish that the Achilles hadn't happened and that they could just bring him back in that role, you know, again. Yeah. No, I mean, the way Mary Kay describes it, I mean, he might, he could really work out for them next year's like almost, it would feel like a trade deadline move, right? That like, hey, here comes a little juice for the second half of the year. But I do think, and I do think this is a reasonable spot to do that. Like as Scott said, that defensive end, like you need to have something, but it's about the style of player that fits it, that there's like some upside guys where you're not making long-term commitments. And if it hits, you're going to get superb value for the money. And I think Clowney and McKinley, both in their own way, fit into that. So I'm, I would definitely have interest in Tack McKinley back, but I'm just like perusing like early lists of free agents for this offseason. And there are plenty of guys that you can find as edge rushers that are projected to get one year, $8 million contracts. You know, you get Justin Houston in here, you get Melvin Ingram in here, right? Whatever style of, of kind of edge guy you want they're they're going to be out there. And so, um, but if this is a thing, like if you want to start, do, you want to do the new version of the clowny tack combo, bring it. Let's just start, start throwing names <laughs> out there to do that kind of thing. But I really, it did really work out in the end to sort of have three guys in the two spots. And then there were at times they were all in the field together. And I, I just thought it was, that's what it should look like. It just probably is just going to be different guys. So Ashley, you brought this up, I think on a previous pod, um, looking at edge rushers in the draft. What about Clowney on a two-year deal in that $10 million a year range in a draft pick? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be intriguing if it's the right guy. But again, I think we talk so much about what they need in this draft. I mean, I think you certainly could look at edge rushers. I think David Ojabo is a name from Michigan that's that's been out there. And, and what's intriguing about him is he hasn't been playing football that long, period. So there's potentially a ton of upside with a guy like that. Um, but the Browns have also proven that this model kind of works. Like, like Doug's saying, maybe get some of these one-year deal guys together and just keep plugging them in and see, see what you can get out of them and see how they look next to Miles Garrett, which makes everything easier for you. So um, I think that's another route they, they could go if for some reason they decide not to you know, go with the receiver in the first round. That would probably be my next want if you don't have Clowney. But um, I still think like offensive wise, you might need to look in the draft for that first before you start looking at edge rushers. Okay, Scott, give us the answer. What, what, what does the defensive end room look like? And then everybody else can yell at you. Who stays, you mean? Yeah, who stays? What, what's the plan? I, I, and again, none of us have done a ton of homework on the draft just yet, but, you know, and free agency and all of that, just here on January 5th before the season's even over. Well, I think you just take a shot in the dark and keep Miles Garrett. But beyond that, you, uh, <laughs> I think you do bring back McKinley because, man, the fall off, like going from, from whoever, would, like Clowney or even Vernon to Port Augustine was too big of a drop, I think. So McKinley uh, can be the number one guy potentially but it's even better if he's number number two so you know i, I would say that over clowny but I, I do think uh again i'm not gonna be shocked if they turn this into a, a yearly thing where they're just kind of they've done it two years in a row now all these one-year contracts and the majority of them have been on defense um 
So I, I would say McKinley over Clowney probably. Okay. So I would go, I'd, I'd go with the plan that I threw out there. Uh, Clowney, try to catch this lightning in a bottle again. Clowney on a, on a one or two year deal and then either a cheaper edge rusher or a draft pick. I mean, I do, I, I don't want edge in the draft because I, I think that I agree with Ashley. You've got to get, the receivers first. It's like one of those things when you start thinking about well, what are you giving up if you if you use draft capital on this position versus another position. I would much rather try to patch this second edge spot together with some smart free agency contracts than I would try to patch together the receiver room with smart free agency contracts. Like get get a number one receiver. The value of that to this team right now versus drafting a compliment to Miles Garrett in the middle of the first round is it's so much greater to me. I completely agree with Ashley that like, I just don't think that's where you can go. Cause you can find it. I think you can find it. And I'm not sure. I actually think this is like, this is a, is this a hidden, not even hidden. This is a bonus value of Miles Garrett. That maybe he's a dude that guys when they're in the market and they're thinking, well, I'm probably going to end up taking a one-year deal somewhere. It's like, maybe I'll go play with that guy. Like it gives you a little bonus. It's a little, it's Cleveland has an edge in trying to get guys like this because they have such an established dude that guys want to play with. I think you may, I think you can play in that market as a result. Yeah. I, I think they can bring Jadavian Clowney back. I think that they can convince him uh, to, to stick around for at least another season. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, that's probably in the cards. And then, and again, I think if it's not, it's because, you know, his family wanted to be in a different place or something like that. But I think he likes it enough here that he will come back. Um, Tack, that's got to be in your hip pocket. That's something that you have to, uh, it's a little bonus if he comes back super healthy. Uh, as we know, um, you know, up to 30% of guys don't make it back fully healthy from an Achilles. So you just, you have to see how he's doing and see how he passes physicals. So I think I would kind of like wait on that one a little bit and therefore, go out and find another really good number three. You have to find a number three. Um, you can't count on tech being that guy. So um, I would go out and I would spend some money and maybe there's another, you know, sort of low budget guy like that out there that you can get for the $4 million in the $4 million range or the $5 million a year range. Uh, so I would try to go out and find another tech. Somebody asked PFF. I think is just projecting Clowney is like one year fifteen. Would you pay fifteen? That's a year. It, it seems high, but I, if if I could make it work, I, I'd pay it for a year. I I'm not interested in doing like a four year deal, like a real four year deal with Clowney. But if we're talking one or two years, I'd be willing to up my part. Fifteen might be a little steep, but I would maybe go twelve. Yeah, I, I was going to say ten, twelve at that point. I mean, I, I think I kind of agree with what everyone said that it, it's just kind of worked with him here. And I think I obviously wasn't covering the team then, but I know I remember when that deal got announced, I was like, well, the, the best thing about it is if, if it doesn't work, it's one year. <laughs> like, in the, obviously, given his career path to that point, this wasn't a guarantee that it was going to work. But I think him and Miles Garrett like playing with each other and kind of like what Mary Kay was saying in regards to tack, these Achilles injuries can be pretty finicky and, and tricky to come back from and predict. So um, I think you kind of go with the of the more obvious of the two and prioritize that and knowing tech's likely timeline to even get back. Um, as long as Clowney wants to be here, I think you make that deal happen within reason. This does just feel like to me one of those where it might be both sides would like to have him back, but the money 
right. is too far apart that or he wants a longer deal or something that, that just he's going to maybe want the kind of contract that the Browns wouldn't be willing to go to, even though they both love each other. Right. Because last year uh, they were not willing to pay those exorbitant prices for the edge rushers that were flying off the market in the first three days. And we know the names of all of those guys and who they were. Uh, they did not want to pay those $18 million salaries and 17 million. Uh, so they were very patient and they waited. Uh, so if his price tag has gone up uh, because of what he accomplished this season, I think they'll be out bargain hunting a little bit more. All right, let's spice things up here. I was, I was gonna go to some more defensive players here, but then I was perusing Scott's list. And we got to spice things up a little here. So we move to the offensive side of the football. And we bring up David Njoku. So Scott on this list says Spotrack's, Spotrack lists his market value at four years, $27 million or $6.9 million a year, which is about what he made this year on his fifth-year option. Who wants to make the case for David Njoku here? Who wants to make the case to give David Njoku four years? And let's just say he hits the market, and so that gets bumped up into that. I don't know, we can leave it at seven, but somewhere in that seven to eight million dollar range. Does anyone want to make that case? I will. Yes, sign go. him. Sign him. And the case is Austin Hooper. Uh, the case is Austin Hooper not uh, having the best year and being kind of a, I don't know, I think we've talked about him in underachieving terms, but even beyond that, there's the offense that Stefanski runs. And I know Doug hates it, but it's here. <laughs> it's going to be here, whether it's two or three tight ends, you still need two good ones. And I think the Browns have two that could run this offense well enough. And David Njoku took a big jump this year and played more like, I think uh, we we've expected him to. Um, I think he is the, he's an explosive threat. I mean, he's the guy they're throwing the ball to at the end of uh, the Steelers game, looking for something to happen. Um, he's the guy making plays really down the stretch here when, when they've needed things down the field because they just haven't had the receivers to do that. So I think you do sign him and bring him back. And I think he's hit the, the point in his career where he's kind of worth uh, what, what he's going to command. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm okay with, with that money. <laughs> um, I mean, I know it's been rocky in the past with him, but to, I mean, to go along with everything Scott said, I mean, he's pretty good in pass blocking as well. I pulled up PFF now. Um, looking at those receiving grades, he has a 72.2 pass blocking grade, which is fourth on the team. Um, and regardless of, of how we feel about Kevin Stefanski's offense and the tight ends, if he's going to use them, I think he is – the most viable option to to use and you maybe uh figure things out around that but i'd be okay with him coming back uh you know the funny thing about david njoku is that he's been around for so long it's hard to believe that he's only 25 years old right now right i mean it just seems like he's been here forever and uh here he is only uh 20 five years old. So uh, that's one really good thing about him. The other thing to remember about David Njoku, and I firmly believe, I, I'm almost positive that, well, they actually have already had preliminary contract extension talks with him. I asked him about that. I talked to him about that uh, on um, at an event right around Thanksgiving. 
So those preliminary talks have, have taken place already. So I know they want to resign him. Once again, it's just a matter of coming up with the money, but I, you know, he wants, I think he wants to be here. The, the X factor in some of this, especially when we're talking about the defensive guys is Baker Mayfield. I mean, really nobody knows for sure who the quarterback is going to be. And none of the pass catchers flourished this year with Baker Mayfield struggling for whatever reason. None of them really lived up to their potential. I think David Njoku and pretty much everybody else on offense probably would have had much better seasons had Baker Mayfield been a better version of himself. So I think there's more to come from David Njoku. The question is, how many of these pass catchers are going to want to come back if they think Baker Mayfield is the quarterback? Right. I mean, you know, Austin Hooper, for instance, I ran some of the numbers on him today uh, for my column. I mean, he, he's just having a, a horrible season with Baker Mayfield. His 38 catches are and his 38 catches and 300 some yards are about half. And his three touchdowns are about half of what he had in his final year with Atlanta, which was his second Pro Bowl season. So his production has gone way down. And with Baker Mayfield, I mean, he's just not a good tight, pass catching tight end with Baker. It's just not. We all see it. He's dropped six passes this season, which are tied for first in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, among tight ends. Okay, that's a lot of passes. Uh, considering that he hasn't really even gotten that many targets, 58 targets. So he's dropping 10% of his targets. That's a lot. Question is, once again, chicken, egg, Baker Mayfield, Austin Hooper. Well, what is? Can it? you get off Hooper? Can you get off Hooper? Yeah, I think you'd that's part of the question him. here too. You'd have to trade him. His dead cap hit for next season. Huge, huge. Is 11, and a, 11 and a quarter million. It's 11 but and a quarter. You'd who have would to- take him? You'd ha- you know what? It sounds crazy, but um, that's not a, a, a huge number for a quality number one tight end. And if you are looking at this situation and if you have just watched the Cleveland Browns on national television in their last two football games on Christmas Day and on Monday Night Football, you could make the case that perhaps the quarterback is part of the problem. No, no, no. I'm sorry, Mary Kay. I think you misspoke there. We're talking about Austin Hooper, not a quality number one tight end. (laughs) But (laughs) is he a quality? I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. did not look like a quality receiver until he left Cleveland. And he didn't. My theory has long been with Austin Hooper and Odell Beckham Jr. that those two guys in particular, they had a horrible time trying to adjust to Baker Mayfield. I thought it was in part because they had spent so much time with other quarterbacks for their whole entire career. But now I just think it is, you know, they just were not a fit with Baker Mayfield. And I think it's that way with Austin Hooper too. I don't think he all of a sudden became a horrible tight end. He doesn't have any chemistry there. Now, some of those passes, we all have seen this and we can all agree on this. Some of those passes hit him right in the hands and he just dropped the football. He's we saw it at the, uh, at the orange and brown scrimmage at the stadium. I mean, he just dropped everything. So has he fallen off the cliff and become a bad pass catching tight end? Or is he ju- is this just a bad fit and he needs to go somewhere? I think I'm, I'm to the point now where if Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback and none of us know if he is, I think most of us think he's not going to be the starting quarterback next season. But if he is, no Austin Hooper. No, I, we don't need to see Austin Hooper and Baker Mayfield anymore together. So number one, he's bad. 
and he was a little bit of a system tight end in Atlanta. And I think that inflated his numbers to some degree, which I think we're seeing some of that. I don't think you can have Njoku at the number he's going to demand in free agency and Hooper. That's like $25 million for two, like, okay, tight ends. Yeah, I mean, some... uh, neither of those guys is like a, a number one tight end. Two, this is a pretty good tight end draft. I think they could get a tight end in the fourth round again, just like they did with Harrison Bryant, who could fill one of those spots. So to me, if you can trade Hooper, sign Njoku and draft the tight end and your room next year is Njoku one, Bryant two, and the rookie three, I'm here for it. I don't know if it makes sense to be paying Hooper $13 million a year and then sign Njoku to a multi-year deal for $12 million a year, unless you suck it up and do it for one year and then get off Hooper when he, when the dead cap hit in 23, isn't as bad. And you have a super high priced two pretty good high priced tight ends at the same time for one year. But I, I, I don't know if that's wrong to think maybe that's not how front offices think because they're smarter than me, but I don't know if you're spending so much money on Hooper, you'd rather have Njoku, but I don't know if the Hooper money prevents you from a multi-year big deal with Njoku. You, no, you can't yeah. think about this in terms of a number one receiver. You got to think about it in terms of the way the Browns are built and they have tight ends on the field more than anybody in the league. So uh, they're going to value them a little differently. And, and in Hooper's defense, and I think we've said this, like last off season too, like nobody who catches a pass is going to get the kind of numbers here that they've gotten previously in their career. Not Odell or Jarvis or any of those guys, not Kareem Hunt. Um, nobody. It's, it's all going to be lower just because of how many different types of uh, three tight end formations they have. And just the, their way of spreading it around. This isn't a, a Tyree kill Travis Kelsey kind of offense. It's get everybody involved again. I know Doug hates that, but that's the way it is. And Nick Chubb is the only one on this team who's going to have big leading the league kind of numbers. So, but I do think uh, you, I would, I would not be surprised to see them pay a little more than you would expect for tight ends just because of the way they're built. I okay. If you want to bring David Njoku back for a couple of years, for like two years, $7 million, I could see it. But like, I have not seen in five years of David Njoku a number one type of tight end, a guy that you're going to pay that much money. Like, like I, I just haven't seen it. And, I, you know, it's, it's the craziest thing, the way some people talk about it. Like, he makes the touchdown catch in Pittsburgh. He bobbles the ball, he makes the catch. And there were people on Twitter like, oh, there's your tight end one. Why? Because he finally made a touchdown catch? You know, I mean, like, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. He's fine. If you want to keep betting on that upside, he's fine. But like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I watch the really good tight ends in this league and he's not there. They're playing a different game. So he's I, been I the best tight end on this team the last two years though. Well, that, that's fine. This team has, doesn't have great tight ends. That doesn't I mean would, you have to give him $10 million. I would love to ask Andrew Barry a question that along the lines of like, Basically, if you sort of have a bad contract at one position and you're trying to sign somebody else, how do you take the bad? So like if you like Njoku, would you let the bad deal with Hooper prevent you from signing Njoku if you like him? Because I think it has to factor in. If Njoku, you're probably going to wind up with two of the highest 10, highest paid tight, two of the top 10 tight ends in the league in terms of salary if you get if you keep Njoku. And I know it's the Kevin Stefanski offense, but it's like, okay, I guess. And like, again, 
for guys who aren't that, I will say I've come around a lot listening to Scott. Like there are times when you watch, you'll watch a big Browns run and they have these great offensive linemen making blocks. And like the best block on the play is thrown by David Njoku. There are times when you can see his dominance as a blocker and he is so physical and such a great athlete and that he has now applied that as a blocker is huge. But if the Browns were throwing a pass on third and six into the end zone in the AFC championship game, and I'm sorry to talk about the Browns in the AFC championship game, people are having a reaction to that. Would you feel comfortable throwing that pass to David Njoku as he enters year six in the NFL? I would not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, this is nothing about David Njoku as a block. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not paying $10 million for a blocking tight end. How, how many games in David Njoku's career do you think he's gone over 60 receiving yards? 23. Anyone else? I'm kidding. Was it like four? What, what's the total number of games Ten? he's played? 10, Dan? I'm looking at... Uh, it's hard to really tell on here. With uh, I have 60 games on this game log, on this career game log. And more than six, 60 or more yards? 60 or more yards. I went low. I said 10. That's probably way too low. Eight, 18? You're, you're all high. Oh. It's higher than seven. Seven, okay. Seven times in but, five but, years. But, but let's remember this, you guys. This is an important thing that we must remember as we are going through this whole exercise. And that is the fact that what they have right now in terms of play calling and offensive scheme and quarterback might all change. That could all change. They've got to, they have to fix this and we don't know how they're going to fix it yet. So some of these players might be enhanced if they switch things up a little bit or if they get a different quarterback that can complete passes at a, at a higher rate and is a little bit more accurate than he at least was this year. Uh, I, I think I probably would throw to David Njoku in a clutch situation like that. I, I would, with the game on the line, I would throw the ball to him. I think he's gotten considerably better over the years. He's always going to have those one or two drops. He's not going to be hundred percent consistent, but I think he still has plenty of upside potential. And I, I, the other thing to consider about him is that Andrew Barry loves him. He loves him. He drafted him. He, he loves him. So uh, I think they're going to try to resign him. And I think he can be better as a pass catcher with a, if they have a different quarterback or if they have a different scheme or if they have, be, they're going to have better receivers next year too. So everything's going to be better with the passing game. And therefore, I think that he'll be left open a little bit more. I just think it will function better and he should be a part of it. And, that, and that's only half the job too, by the way. I mean, he, he had over 270 run blocking snaps this season. Cooper had over 300 so far. Um, that's, that is... I think that's top 10 for both of them. It's top 10 for Hooper in the league among tight ends. So, I mean, again, they use them. They use them both a lot in a lot of ways. The thing I would wonder from a roster building standpoint is 
I do think you can find a facsimile of David and Joku in the fourth round with the tight end. I mean, I'm looking at the list of tight ends available. Ohio State played some tight ends for Utah in the Rose Bowl that looked like dudes. The best tight end of them is ranked as the 10th best tight end in this draft. There are some guys, Charlie Kolar, Iowa State's a really good player. He's like the sixth tight end in this draft. I just think, again, as you're using money and draft capital and stuff, I I wonder, is David and Joku rare? Is he, he's a good player, but if he's going to get $12 million a year, can you not replace that? And if you think you can kind of replace it, like in the fourth round of the draft, are you paying $12 million a year for it? And I don't know that he's ever going to be George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, right? So if, you, if you're pretty sure he's not that, then maybe you spin the tight end wheel again and try somebody new who's at least going to be kind of as good as Njoku and maybe he has a chance to be George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. And you keep spinning that wheel until you get a truly Pro Bowl-level tight end. So I just wonder if for the money, if it's worth it. Well, let me ask you this real quick. So Spot Track, or however we are pronouncing that, I'll ask the guy again on Friday because I'm going to do a podcast with him. <laughs> I, he told me before, I think it's Spot, spot Track, however. Uh, but anyways, listen, as, as uh, Scott has here, at $6.9 million per year. So why are we jumping up to 12? Because that's what you think he'll get if he hits the open market. I don't think he's going to hit the open market. I think they're going to sign. I, they potentially will sign him before then. But why are you jumping up to 12? You think that's what he would command? PFF is projecting him three at 37, which again, might be crazy high. Okay. But yeah, I but mean, these projections are all over the board. Big no, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't well, even know if they ever actually playoffs and a lot but any of this stuff is i mean i think there is a bottom line of like do the browns like it do, do they want him okay they yes then what's the number so if if someone's going to give david and joku 10 or 11 11 million dollars a year and they're already paying hooper this i just don't know if you can get him for eight and a half a year okay then like i think that's a completely different conversation so right. that's, that's just i i don't know anything so i'm just using this as a guide this guide might be high but if somebody loves the upside and think there's some quality play and untapped potential there, maybe this is a guy that somebody else would roll the dice on in the way that the Browns wouldn't be willing to. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm in that range too. Give me like two, give me like right. two at like 7 million a year. I could live with, I'm not going to complain if you want to go two more years on this and see if a different quarterback turns him into that all around tight end. Who's maybe worth 12 million a year. But Scott, that, real quick, probably about where I draw the line. He's the best tight end blocker, right, Scott? Uh, yeah, Hooper got better this year, but the last two years, Njoku's been the best run blocker. I think you can see plays. I think if you ran back Nick Chubb's 15 best runs of this year, my guess would be you'd see David Njoku doing some good work on a lot of them. And as Scott keeps pointing out, that ain't nothing in this offense. That's true. All right, here's another name that we love to talk about. Although I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on this name, but let's just get to it because it's right under the list here before we head back to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Richard Higgins. Is he back? <laughs> Scale of oh, one I... to 10. Scale of one to 10, 10 being he's definitely back. Negative three. <laughs> he's gone. I mean, yeah, he's, he's gone. When If you are made inactive in one of the biggest games of the season, you're gone. Gone, gone, gone. And I think there, 
there were, I don't know what it was, but there was something, there was something going on that we don't even know about because it was just weird. He disappeared. We never, we didn't see him. And I think that rattled him. Now he came back and he rebounded and he had a nice game in Green Bay, right? Was that the game? Um, so he, you know, he still has some value to him, but I think it's over here. I, I think it's over here. Unless he's just one of those things like they, like the thing that wouldn't leave coming soon at a theater near you. It could end up being that where like when push comes to shove, everybody's got their whole receiving core and you can get them at the bargain basement price one more time. Maybe, maybe, but other than that, he's gone. Yeah, he's gone until he comes back. Because <laughs> we know that's what's going to happen. They're going to let him walk and he'll like come it. back at the end of free agency. So, you know, don't clean out his locker. Just keep it, you know, keep it ready to go. He'll be back. He's yeah, never Andrew leaving. Barry, Andrew Barry has a check sitting on his desk dated for May 4th. Yep. Come on back. <laughs> Here you go. Bring him back to abuse him some more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, All that right. Ravens game is still, like, the biggest. I mean, just mind-blowing for me. They couldn't do anything in the past game in that game, and he was a healthy scratch. Like, it's still – I mean, I know I screamed about that on the post-game podcast, basically, but, I mean, that – like Mary Kay was saying, if there is any indication that there's something going on that we don't know about, that game was probably it. Yeah, they're, yeah they're but that's what we said during Freddie Kitchens' this year, isn't it? And we talk about the same thing. He cannot get on the field. What is going on? And – Back he came. Well, that's because Freddie was gone. He wouldn't have been. David Njoku and Richard Higgins both would have been gone if Freddie came back 100%. So that that coaching change saved them. Uh, but Richard, with the uh, Ravens game, that had to have been something that we don't know about. That had to have been he was late to something. I mean, that, that just didn't make any sense. Okay. Other receiver that we really should spend time on here, and this is not a guy who's a free agent, but he's on Scott's list as a potential cap casualty. And that is Jarvis Landry, a $16.5 million cap hit, $1.5 million dead cap if the Browns move on from him. Mary Kay, you have said before, maybe even uh, on yesterday's pod, that you think Jarvis is probably not going to be back. Right. What's the scenario where Jarvis is back, though? How does that, how does that look? That looks like... Uh, a restructure, uh, a different quarterback, I would think, um, and an offense that, you know, that changes up a little bit, a scheme that changes up and, and would really use him more than, than he has been used this season. So I, I don't see him coming back at $16.55 million when he's turning 30 in November. And they like him. I mean, they, they still really like him a lot. Uh, but I think that's that's a big number uh, for, you know, for what you're going to get out of him in a year when it's time to turn the page and it's time to have an infusion of talent in their receiver room. And that's a big number. And I, 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 I'm just not feeling it. Doug, was the Jarvis Landry experience worth it? So I underestimated Jarvis Landry when he came here. It was a thousand percent worth it. But what he brought to this team, they don't need quite as much anymore. And he came to a team that didn't know what it was doing. And he, I, he did. He did. For anybody who, you know, 
leans the analytics and just looks at stats and how much you're paying a guy and, you know, how many yards per catch he averages and he's not explosive and all that. I mean, I, I learned something by watching what a player like Jarvis Landry did in Cleveland, but he helped. He honestly helped. He was, he was at the core of the transformation of the Browns. It's like, well, how much did they transform? It's like, they're in a much better spot than they were when he got here. Undoubtedly, we all know that. And that was 1000% worth it. 1000% worth it. But right now, as he approaches age 30 in an offense that needs to get more explosive, when you can spend that money on somebody else at receiver who is going to be more explosive, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And I mean, again, like, you don't, you're not going to build a statue to Jarvis Landry, but Jarvis Landry left his mark in Cleveland, man. And I think every single person listening to this podcast would salute him on his way out, but you can't bring a guy back for $16 million just because he's been an unbelievable Brown. I just think it's, it's time to move on. And I know we're not talking about Baker Mayfield, but the number of times <laughs> that it has come up so far that like, well, if Baker Mayfield's back, then that guy's not coming back. Uh, is telling us something about uh, the status of the Browns uh, quarterback at the moment, but um, it's just time. And I don't even know that Mary Cat. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know that the Jarvis would argue that. I mean, it feels like it's, it's time, you know, yeah, he... I think so. And you know what, oddly enough, even just something as, <laughs> excuse me, as small as him not speaking to the media anymore tells me that it's time. <laughs> We haven't talked to him in a Brown setting since Odell left. The only time we've talked to him is at a, a Thanksgiving uh, charity event. And, and he, he was great. He was great with us. It was great to see him. Uh, it was great to talk to him there. But, you know, just the fact that he has kept a low profile the whole entire second half of the season, I don't even know if we're going to be have a chance to, like, have an exit interview with him, which would be so weird. I hope he doesn't do that because Browns fans do deserve to hear from Jarvis Landry. So I hope he does the right thing and comes out and talks to us after this game or the day after, or whatever the case may be. But I think that is a, a sign that he might not be back. And I think it's like 80%. Yeah. And then, then just to add context to that, that's not normal. I mean, he has, oh. he has been since he got here, one of the most media friendly guys, like, yeah we vote on this good guy award every year and he's always in the discussion for it um, because he's just so good and talking to us regularly and just, just everything else going back to the open locker room days and all that. Scott, the Jarvis Landry experience. I liked it. Uh, I, I think I, I, even before the season started, I figured this was probably going to be it just looking at the numbers and, and knowing that they were going to have so much money wrapped up in him and Odell next year and with the ability to get out of it. And it makes, it makes sense to pay your receivers money. It's a passing league, even if the Browns don't do it as much as, as a lot of other teams. Um, that makes sense. But at his age and then the spot that he plays, like Doug said, I don't know if that's where you want the bulk of that money at. And I guess if you're taking him out of the equation, though, and you say you're bringing in a rookie, then I guess are you fine with rookie X with DPJ? and Schwartz is that your receiving group or do you feel like I'm thinking there has to be something else there too no there's a veteran there's a veteran I bet yeah I think um, I think rookie one veteran two but yeah. Jarvis Landry had the eighth highest cap hit of any receiver in the league this year he'd have the 12th highest next year that's some money to spend man 
I mean, that's yeah. it's like, how are you going to fix this receiver? It's like, you're going to take Jarvis Landry's money and spend it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I don't actually think it's, it's that difficult to transform this from overnight, but I do think that we've learned enough from the Browns mm-hmm. that it's like, you don't want to have that room end up where like DPJ is the most veteran guy in the room. That's yeah, not fair good. to him. That's not fair to anybody. It's, it'll just be with, a different veteran than Jarvis here. With him, like from talking to him, from knowing him, and obviously just seeing that him in that X receiver spot does not work. I think he's at his best when he doesn't have to be that top guy, when he doesn't have that pressure on him. I think that was a lot of his college struggles, quite honestly, when he has all that pressure and that attention on him. I think he's better in that, you know, three spot, two spot, whatever. Um, But I'm glad you brought up that point, Doug, about everything that Jarvis Landry has done for this team, because I'm like, if they do build a statue to him, they have to play the contagious speech on it. Just have it going on a 24 hour loop, the contagious hard knock speech, because I do think that stuff is important. And, you know, and we've talked about Baker Mayfield these last few weeks and, and talking about if it's time to move on, like obviously Baker deserves some credit for doing what he did over these last few years on this team and helping to get things on a different track than they had been on for, you know, almost two decades. I think Jarvis deserves similar credit with the same thing, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you just look at the receivers uh, in the neighborhood of where, what he's getting paid and, and you can just see the difference for, for as great as he is. And then, you know, you look at some of the veteran guys that might be out there that you could maybe go get, you know, Allen Robinson, right. Uh, you know, Chris Godwin's a little more complicated now because of the injury. Devontae Adams is going to be a free agent. I mean, there's guys that you can give a lot of money to who are pretty good players um, that, that if you wanted to go that route, and there's going to be other veteran guys too, that if you wanted to spend a little less, you could do that with, but there's some real options there and they're, they're just guys that are different than Jarvis Landry. And I think, I think that's what this team needs, but I I'm with all of you. Look, I probably just come like this close to just putting on a Jarvis Landry Jersey before we record some of these podcasts. So I'm, I I can't disagree with anything you guys said about what he meant to this team. And did we mention, I think we mentioned that, um, you know, that it, He's only got $1.5 million in, in the yeah. dead cap space. So that's what makes this an easy decision. If but now I, I will having said all that though, they really do like him. Alex Van Pelt raves about him, Kevin Stefanski raves about him. So they like him. I don't think this is a foregone conclusion that he's gone, but he's not back at 16.55. Yeah. I don't know what an NFT is, but if they don't build him a statue, could they build him an NFT? Sure. Yeah. You'd not build a statue for Jarvis Landry. No, I know. You can't build a statue. But if an NFT, that doesn't actually exist, right? An NFT is just a thing that floats around. So think, build them one of those. Like a virtual thing. Yeah. yeah. Build Maybe. a virtual statue. I don't know. Things like that that I don't understand. I just assume we're all about money laundering, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Probably. Okay. <laughs> there's there's one more big name I want to get to, and then we're, we're going to go pretty quickly through a lot of these other names. And, and I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this one, but the other veteran kind of on this list uh, who has been a staple of this team for really since, when did he sign here? 2017, uh, signed an extension in 2019. J.C. Treader, uh, $9.8 million cap hit next year, $1.6 million dead cap, has had any issues, is kind of on the Joe Thomas practice plan this year. Uh, but aside from getting COVID, has not missed a snap in his Browns career. Is J.C. Treader back, or and if he's not, what's the, is Nick Harris the solution? Is it somebody else, a draft pick, whatever? 
if he comes back, I would be curious to research how often a full offensive line has come back for a third year together. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's certainly not impossible, but that'd be quite a thing. And it feels like to me, like when you draft a guy like Nick Harris, like that's how it works, right? That it's like, okay, we're going to draft this guy. We're going to work him in for two years. And then in year three, he'll be ready to maybe take over as a starter. So, but I don't know. I'd be for keeping him. If, we'll if, also be 31, sorry, 31 in February. Just so if both sides are up for it, I'd, I'd run it back one more year. But I also think this is how you sustain winning for a team that's going to wind up with a losing record. But like you sustain winning by drafting Nick Harris, developing him when the guy reaches a certain point. Okay, here we go. You plug somebody in and you keep the cycle going. And that's what success looks like. So we got a little glimpse of Nick Harris. Would people be comfortable if, with Nick Harris coming in and being the starting center next year? Or would that worry people? I don't know. I think I'd squeeze another year out of, out of JC Treader if I could. I mean, especially once again, don't know who the quarterback is going to be, you know, just that stabilizing presence in the middle of that offensive line, always there, always available. You know, I, I just think that you, you know, 31 is not that old for an offensive lineman. Um, and that money is not, you know, overwhelming. So yes, I, I would bring him back for, for one more year and not take the chance. You don't know how important the center position is until you don't have a really, really good one. So I, I, I would definitely bring him back. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're spending so much money on your two guards. If, if it's working still right now, I would do everything to, to try and keep that continuity. And like Doug's saying, that's a fairly rare thing to have a group of guys together that long. And obviously you'll be getting, hopefully, you know, Jack Conklin back true to form. We'll see what happens with Jed Wills and what he's going to look like. But um, I don't know if that's a position that's worth gambling on to me. Um, and maybe, you know, give Nick Harris a little bit more time and see what happens. I mean, he, he, the one game he played was against the Packers. Uh, no pressures. His The PFF gave him a 70 grade, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, 75 but, pass blocking, too. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree that um, if you can, you bring J.C. Charter back. I, I, I'm guessing since he's been here so long and his age, he probably doesn't want to go somewhere and start over and play there for a year or two. Um, it probably makes sense that he wants to wrap it up here. So if you can figure out how to do that, uh, yeah, it would be great to keep this group together. And, and Scott, you had Jack Conklin on your list. Um, yeah, I threw him in does, for some controversy. Yeah, I mean, does any, does anyone think there's a situation where Conklin's not back? I believe it's the last year of his deal, right? Uh, well, it's the, no, he has another year after that, okay. but this is the year where the dead cab drops down a lot. So you know, you just have to hope that he that he's healthy. He's starting to to break down a little bit, and he's showing some signs of physical strain. Even before the torn patella, uh, he was out for a while. Um, so, I think they're going to have to to look long and hard at that. I mean, to have that all pro right tackle is so vitally important but he's also got to be healthy and he's also got to be there because look what happened when he wasn't. So I think it's something that they have to take a look at his health, a torn patella. That's hard to come back from too. Yeah. That's I, brutal. I mean, the, like knowing that what I do know about knees, like the patella is such a stabilizing part of that joint for an offensive lineman. That's not a good surgery to have to have. 
How would people feel about a long-term investment in Blake Hans at this point? How do you <laughs> feel about that, Doug? Are we talking about five years, 75 million, something like that? I mean, is that where we're it, starting the negotiation? If you could get it done. It's, it is one of those things where like, if it's not him, then it's going to be somebody else expensive because I don't think you can, you can't afford to muck around there. So yeah, um, unlike Treader, you don't have the next guy or who you think could be the next guy in your building. Yeah. And I think they're challenged at both tackle positions. And I've talked about this before. I mean, do you need to upgrade your left tackle position or are you just going to hope that uh, that he struggled this year because of his ankle injury that was pretty darn serious and lingered on? Uh, but if, if that's not the case, then you better have some some pretty good tackle depth this season because I, th- I thought that there was an issue on the left side as well. And they've got a, I know Chris Hubbard's on our list too, but like they've got to get a swing tackle they believe in because Chris Hubbard being out for the whole year really blew a hole. It magnified everything else that went wrong at the mm-hmm. tackle spots. And that was just bad luck that you lost Hubbard like that. But swing tackle, I think would be high on the list of not a huge investment, but you've got to have somebody as your third tackle you believe in. Okay. Yeah, last last year they had Hubbard and Lamb. That was that was nice for uh, for a backup situation. All right, we're gonna pick up the pace here on some of these guys. Uh, Case Keenum, seven point eight million dollar cap hit, one point three million dollar dead cap. Anybody want to make the case for Case Keenum, or are we all agreed that he is probably not here next year? <laughs> you have to sign a veter- a really expensive veteran quarterback. Like, say, let's just say for instance they acquire Jimmy Garoppolo and they would have to redo his contract. You're going to have to pay him a lot of money, a bunch of money. So in that scenario, you probably would want a cheaper backup. I would think. Um, So yeah, I guess there, there is a world in which that you're not going to have Case Keenum back at a cap hit of $8 million a year. If you're paying Jimmy or somebody like that, 20, $5 $5 million a year, $27 million a year, or whatever it's going to be. This is so Mary Kay. This is a, <laughs> let's have a discussion about the backup quarterback. And then Mary Kay just drops like, ah, oh, they might trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what just happened? The question became, should case back up Jimmy next year or not? Mary Kay, you are the best. <laughs> but I, but we have to, we have to talk in, in possibilities. And it's one of them. It's I, I'm not. I mean, it's the discussion, though, that kind of clouds everything, right? Until it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say Case Keenum, I think a lot like Jarvis, exactly filled his role. When you had a young guy like Baker, you needed a veteran backup, a guy who knew the system, who could be a teacher to Baker while also being a guy you could rely on if you needed to. And now they're past that. Whether it's Baker or somebody else, they're past that. I would like them to draft their backup quarterback. So if 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 it's Baker or if it's another veteran, that's going to be the guy, then draft somebody. I don't know in the second or third round. And that's your backup quarterback. but this is money that you can spend elsewhere at this point, this case, Keenum money can be used more in a more valuable way to enhance this roster than as the backup quarterback. All right, let's throw out some DBs here. Ronnie Harrison, MJ Stewart. Ashley, what do you think of those two guys? They're both unrestricted free agents. MJ probably not going to demand a lot of money. I don't know that Ronnie's going to demand a lot of money at this point either, but. Yeah, I was going to say MJ has really impressed me these last few weeks with the way he's, I mean, he just has a nose for the ball and making plays. So um, 
especially with him, I don't, I'm curious to let someone else, <laughs> but I'll, 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 I, I would say I feel more strongly like in my gut reaction immediately as you try to keep him. Oh yeah. And by the way, I think, uh, while everybody's been complaining about Stefanski's fall off and Baker's fall off this year from last year, Ronnie Harrison has been cruising around under the radar. <laughs> Like he was one of the best players on this defense uh, in 2020 and just the season started off so horribly for him. He seemed to be the, the culprit on so many of those blown pass coverages and just, you know, he had the, the shove and was that Sandy? I don't even remember what game that was. It was but Kansas city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just, just, just been a lot. He has not played up to the level that, that he did uh, his first year here. That's for sure. Um, so, I mean, if you're talking Stewart versus Harrison, Stewart, obviously, it's like, you know, what have you done for me lately? He certainly looked great to end the year. Um, that could be a toss-up. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I don't know that it has to be an either-or. I just wanted to, to group those two together. Um, you know, the other thing with Ronnie, too, he had a weird issue where he, like, wasn't at practice when we were out there, and then he ended up showing up at practice after we left, and then he was, like, kind of suspended not fully yeah. suspended, but he wasn't, he didn't start the next game for disciplinary reasons. There's just, there, there's been some weird stuff with Ronnie this year. Um, I do like MJ as a versatile, can play the slot, can play safety. They, they asked him to play safety this year. I like him as a, as a backup guy. And I, I don't think people are going to be banging down the door to give him a ton of money. So, and I think he likes being that guy too, from when he's talked to us, like, it seems like he likes being able to fit kind of any role that they need. I think he said he prides himself on it. So another positive with him. He's got a lot of upside potential too. I think he really showed yeah, he's still lot. young. He's still young. How old is he? Is he 20? He was drafted in 2018. Okay. So yeah, he's still young. I, I think that uh, he really, really showed some things this year. He was so impressive. Um, and, and yeah, I would definitely resign him. I just wish people could see this because in the last five minutes, Mary Kay Cabot just dropped Jimmy Garoppolo out of the sky and then appears to have put on a mink coat in the middle of her living room in front of a Christmas tree. It's not a mink coat. I don't know. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I I would not have a mink coat. But I, this is my faux. It's just a faux fur blanket. I was afraid you guys were thinking, going to think that I put my cat around my neck. That does happen too. Sometimes this is not my cat. This is just a, a faux fur blank. <laughs> the Mary See, Kay Cabot is... swag is impossible. To <laughs> Being big timed on a Zoom podcast here by yeah. Mary Kay and her, her fur coat. I think this is just Mary Kay's podcast now. <laughs> I'll have to leave unless she wants us here. Well, just in time to talk about Malik Jackson and, uh, and Anthony Walker, Mary Kay. Okay, good. Um, both, all right. both on one year deals. Let's start with Malik Jackson. You know what? I had really high hopes for Malik Jackson. He has not graded out well at all this season. Um, he is right now, I can't remember if I did qualifying, but he's like in, in the 128 area if I did qualifying defensive tackles. Regardless, he and Malik McDowell are both way, way, way down the list. And I've really liked what I've seen of Tommy Togiai. Um, and so I think that it's time to... I think they're going to get a little bit more Tommy toe. I think he's ready. I think he's ready to almost, I think he's ready to start next year. I, I do. So I'm going to say no on Malik Jackson. He filled a role. He's been injured. He's got a knee injury, not grading out. Well, like his personality, like the leadership that he brings, 
but I think they're going to upgrade uh, and they're going to have some new starting tackles next year. The bottom five defensive grades per PFF for the Browns this year are all interior defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And they're all really, it's all bad. It's, it's like Malik McDowell is 51 and a half. He's the leader of that group. Um, yeah. So yeah, it just, it does not, nobody's lived up to Sheldon Richardson's bar this year and the rest of the group barely even got to Ogan Joby's uh, level of play last year. So it hasn't worked out from that standpoint. Um, I think McDowell is, I think I hit him down as a restricted free agent or no, he's a exclusive rights free agent. So they basically own him for next year. So he'll be back. Um, I think you probably move on from Jackson just because he's of his age and you just didn't get what you wanted out of him. You do have the two young guys there and Togi and Elliot that are both pretty much guaranteed to come back. Um, but I think you're moving on from Jackson. As far as Anthony Walker, I like the idea of JOK and Walker getting the overwhelming majority of snaps at linebacker. I think that looks good. Um, you can have Walker next to a guy like JOK. I think that works. Uh, you know, injuries and COVID and everything cause them to have to play a lot of different guys in there. But uh, if those are your two linebackers, I think they can, they can work with that. So I'm, I'm trying to decide this and I, I just looked up his grades on PFF. So I feel like maybe this is just the experience with this guy. Cause I feel like this was the experience with him in Cleveland, like watching Larry Ogunjobi in Cincinnati, you'll see these plays where it's like, Whoa, great play by Larry. But then I look up the PFF grade and it's like, Oh, I guess that was like the only thing he did. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm wondering, like, did, did they make, should they have given Larry another opportunity? Was that a mistake? Or Scott, you mentioned Sheldon Richardson. That's the one that hurts. Obviously, he made a ton more money. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. Is, is that something they regret this year? Did you guys realize we were going to talk about Larry Ogunjobi on this pod? <laughs> he, was coming off a, he was coming off a pretty poor year. And yeah. he never really got back to what he was as a rookie. Um, so I, I, don't know, I don't fault them for moving on it. Like I said about defensive end, I wouldn't be surprised if the interior of the, of the line is is a little bit of a revolving door. Just keep guys coming in on one year on one year deals, um, you know, and and maybe you'll hit on something big. I mean, they tried to get by pretty cheaply there, right? And then the performance looked kind of cheap. But I guess it's like you can't like how much did it hurt them? I guess is the question. Like it's one of those things. If you're gonna if you're gonna go cheap at a position on defense, it's like maybe defensive tackle is where you can do it. And yep. and then a guy like Togi, I, I thought maybe Togi would play more this year, but they're coming out of Ohio State, there was some like, ah, is he a hundred percent ready right now? But the idea that he almost took like a red shirt year in the NFL and will be ready to do much more next next year. Again, I think is smart drafting. And I, I think I agree with you, Mary Kay. You can see a lot more of that, but I don't know if you asked Andrew Barry, like, do you regret not finding a way to keep Sheldon Richardson given the way your tackles played? I don't know what his answer would be because like, well, Sheldon Richardson would have been better, but for the money, how much did it really hurt him? Yeah. I think from a roster building standpoint, they just did not want to invest a, a bunch of money in the defensive tackles. I mean, they had a lot of money. Uh, tied up in their defensive ends. And I just don't think they wanted to uh, spend the money there. So I don't think it hurt them that much. I think it's one of those positions where they're like, okay, let's try this guy. Now let's try that guy. Let's draft this guy in the you know, third round and plug him in there. I, it's not a premium position. 
and they're not going to pay top dollar. And Larry Ogunjobi went out and got himself uh, $6.17 million. That's a lot lot of money. (laughs) A lot of money. So no, I don't think they made a mistake. And I think they can, I think they'll be fine with Tommy Togiai, Jordan Elliott, a couple of, you know, maybe bring Malik back and Malik McDowell back and see if they can continue to develop him. Because I think he, I think there's something to him and they're excited about the fact that they found this diamond in the rough. And, but again, I mean, he, he did grade so incredibly low. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Malik Jackson will be back. Yeah. But Malik McDowell, I think can make that splash play, which I think is valuable. I mean, I think it's valuable to have a guy, even if it's not like down to down, this guy's a stud. I, having a guy that can just make a splash, like tip a ball in a playoff game that turns into an interception. I, I think having guys like that matters uh, as, as you kind of go through a season. Um, did I mention Anthony Walker in that last one? He's on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Now, he was not the green sticker guy. John Johnson became the green sticker guy. Um, and then on Sunday or on Monday, he was trading off with Jacob Phillips in that role. So I guess that's kind of the X factor here. We didn't see a lot of Jacob Phillips, but the Browns go that direction at middle linebacker and move on from Anthony Walker. I guess that's maybe the decision. Maybe, maybe they don't have to make that decision, but it's a decision they could make. Yeah, that is true. I mean, of course, they drafted Jacob Phillips. They drafted him in the third round. And I think they really like him. They like his upside potential. You always want your draft picks to succeed and to work out. That's how you uh, develop your reputation as a personnel department is by really largely being able to draft well. So I think Jacob will give, be given every opportunity to um, to play a larger role next year. So that could negatively impact Anthony. But Anthony brings so much just in terms of leadership and mentorship and all that good stuff. I mean, he's helped JOK so much this year. So I don't know. There, there's a lot of intangibles with him. Okay, this was an interesting name. Um, I promise we're almost done here. We're not going to talk about the specialists. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pass on Chase McLaughlin and Dustin Colquitt after that last Colquitt game. Uh, Dearness Johnson, very really interesting restricted free agent. Spotrack has his market value at two years, and then Scott, you have your five million or two oh two years for five million, or that breaks down to two point six million a year. That's the uh, that's the English major in me trying talking there and trying to do that. <laughs> okay, Dearness is incredibly interesting to me. Because I think he's like a legit guy. Like he's not Nick Chubb and he's not Kareem Hunt, but I think he's like, like somebody could make Dearness Johnson their number one or number two back. And he'd be pretty good. So what I I don't know. I'm trying to decide. What do you do? I like the idea of having. Do you trade him? You, t- you pray tender him and see if somebody signs him and you take the draft pick, but I think he's really valuable. And I didn't see a lot. I mean, Demetri Felton's a wide receiver. So I think yeah. he's a separate discussion when we talk about Dearness Johnson. So I don't know. I, I mean, is should Dearness Johnson just be brought back? Yes. You know why? One of the, one of the major reasons why the answer is yes to that, unless you can find somebody comparable. Um, is the fact that you can see that Kareem Hunt is starting to break down physically a little bit. Kareem, Kareem is getting some wear and tear on the legs. 
and, and he's having some injury issues. And once those start to come, uh, they seem to pile up a little bit. And I think the same thing potentially might start to happen for Nick a little bit. Um, running backs don't have a super, super long shelf life. And these guys run here a lot. So I would bring them back for that reason. So PFF has uh, an elusive rating, which is, they don't say exactly what goes into it, but basically it measures, you know, the impact of the runner outside of the blocking. So I'm sure it's missed tackles and all that kind of stuff are, are in there. Um, Kareem Hunt is sixth this season. Nick Chubb is third. Dernis Johnson is first in the league in elusive rating. Um, I, I don't know if that means he's going to be a star if he was uh, somebody's number one running back, but he obviously is able to do things uh, on a similar scale to what Hunt and Chubb do as far as making people miss and making something out of, out of nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I think he fits this offense good. And I think uh, especially for a team that really likes to throw screens like they did this year, um, he's when, you know, when the ball's thrown to him, he can actually catch it and, and run with it. Then you have something good there. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it all comes down, I guess, to what kind of tender you put on him, Right. Um, so I'm not sure, but I think they will try to keep him, uh, because also obviously he contributes on special teams and prefer loves him. Yeah. Ashley, unfortunately for you, one of the first games you covered was that new England game. And I remember like, we kind of saw the difference between Dearness and Nick Chubb. I thought in that game early on, because Dearness broke this big run and he got tackled at like the 10 yard line or something. And it's, I'm like, okay that's sort of where you miss Nick Chubb because he probably finishes that run, but it was still a great run. Like it was still like, this guy is a legitimate running back. Is he a top, you know, if he's a number one somewhere, is he a top five or even top 10 guy? Probably not, but he's stop. Pretty good. Stop. Stop. Okay. We're just, we can, we be a little careful he's with good. deciding if the artist Johnson is a top 10 running back in the well, league. I'm saying it, the, oh my the God. Point I'm making it, the point I'm making is he's not that guy but he is a guy who can be a number one running back in the right situation. That's yeah, the point I, did, like, it's I like, disagree with I'm that. Gonna, I'm going to use Doug's argument that he made for Nick Mullins. Like how many number three options, running back options are there on teams that are better than what the Browns have in Dearness Johnson that fit their system as well as what they want to do. Um, and looking at these receiving numbers, since Scott brought them up uh, this season, 24 targets and 18 receptions and 127 yards for him. So not bad. And again, I know we talk about that. We sometimes wish that they would utilize Nick Chubb more in that regard. And Dearness can do it a little bit too. So um, I think he's a great compliment and, you know, more than anything, going back to what Mary Kay was saying, if you want a legitimate option to help preserve Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt for uh, down the stretch of a season, um, and down the stretch of a hopefully playoff run, unlike this year, I think that's a key guy to making that happen. Look, I, I, I got a stat was. that uh, I'm sorry, I got a stat that Doug needs to hear. Darnus Johnson has forced more missed tackles than Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and, and Christian McCaffrey, who only played seven games. But still, Darnus Johnson has forced more missed tackles than those I, I think. I think he's a real guy. I think he's a real, like, now, could he hold up if, if the question is, if he was number one and he was getting 20 carries a game, would his body hold up? That we don't know. 
but I think he's a real guy. I think he's a guy that could be a team's starting running back and be okay. I think SSS, so. SSS, you know SSS Johnson. But th- think about this. I mean, would you have said that about Raheem Mostert back when he was here, right? You might you might have thought, Raheem Mostert? But if you put one of those guys in the right situation, like the Kyle Shanahan offenses, the Mike Shanahan, you know, the Gary Kubiak types of offenses, they can be a thousand yard rusher. They become that. So absolutely, 100%, I think Dearness Johnson could be a 1,000 yard rusher for a football team like that. When he was on the field instead of Nick Chubb on Monday night, the Mannings were setting themselves on fire. <laughs> they were. So, well, I, okay, and, okay, and that's obviously we're not, we're not saying he's, he should be playing over Nick Chubb. Obviously. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's like Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry or any of these guys. I'm saying he's or a good a guy, running back. I may say, I'm saying he's a guy who could be a starting running back in this league and be fine. Of course, Nick Chubb, of course, you're not going to choose Ernest no. Johnson over Nick Chubb. You're not going to be like, ah, let's trade Nick Chubb. We got the Johnson. Of course, you're not going to do that. Well, you are when you need to pass and you're an empty backfield like they were when the Mannings were going crazy. That's We've written and talked about that before. That's just what the Browns do. Chubb isn't out there in those situations. So when they need to pass and, and it's spread them out time and get down the field, it's Dernis Johnson. All right. We're arguing over Dernis Johnson. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine keeping him. I'm fine keeping him. I'm always wary of a guy who succeeds in a small sample size and then you elevate him above his ability. And I just think it's it's easier to look fresh and be elusive and break tackles when it's your eighth snap of the game and the defenders that you're going against, it's their 53rd snap of the game. And it, you look pretty darn elusive. And Nick Chubb on the sideline is like 18 carries into his game and huffing and puffing because he's been getting helmets in his hips all night. So I, I think there is a decent component of Ernest John, the Ernest Johnson that is built on being fresh when everybody else is tired. And let's see him carry the ball 20 times a game for 17 games and decide if we really want him to be a number one running back. But if they can get him back for cheap, I'll take him as a third running back. I also think you might be able to draft a guy in the fifth round that could do a decent version of that. But it's not Demetrius Feldman. No. And behind Teller and Betonio, right? Yeah, I could get 40 yards. (laughs) <laughs> Those running backs don't matter, but that's not what we're going to get into here. <laughs> okay, well, we're over an hour into this, so we're going to spend the next hour talking about Mac Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a year oh, left. Sione Takitaki has a year left, I guess. I mean, Mac is a special teamer at this point. Sione is probably a guy you want to keep looking at. I think he's been okay, but yeah. Scott, this was your list. Did I miss anybody that, like, as you were typing this out, you were like, oh, we got to talk about this guy. No, I think we hit everybody. Um, but yeah, I do agree. You bring Taki Taki back and you probably cut bait with Mac Wilson at this point. They're both making about a million a year next year, the final year of their deals. Uh, I think you got enough people who do what Mac Wilson does. They maybe do it better. Well, we didn't talk about Baker Mayfield. He's going into the last year. This was a non, this was a non- <laughs> Baker Mayfield podcast yes. today. Oh, I was joking. 
<laughs> but it's so her podcast Be- now. She can decide how the discussion goes, Dan. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Is Mary Kay, is Baker in the Garoppolo trade to be Trey Lance's backup in San Francisco? Or how does that work? Wait, I know, I know what, we'll save it. Mm, maybe we'll save that. Check back. And does Garoppolo get to take over the progressive commercials because he's got a face for TV? Um, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. If the hypothetical of Aaron Rodgers comes here, it becomes State Farm ads. He doesn't have to do the progressive. Is Baker, would Baker agree? I don't mean to make light of this. Baker has been a great Brown and it's unfortunate how things have evolved. However, would Baker do a commercial where he like is selling the stadium to the new quarterback <laughs> and they're trading about that too. That, or oh. Baker's like putting a yard sign in front of the stadium that my, the stadium is for what? sale. And, or and, Jim, Jimmy's like, Jimmy's walking around in the stadium, like flushing the toilets and checking, like, like measuring the drapes. <laughs> And Baker comes out and is like, here's a great viral marketing campaign. If progressive, <laughs> if anyone from progressive insurance listens to this podcast, please consider it. Alice, also Cooper, buy an app. Hosts, Alice Cooper hosts a big going away party for him. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this could be really cool, but Baker is a good enough sport that if he was, if he were moving on to a pretty cool opportunity, for sure, he would do that. I think he would do that commercial. He'd do, he'd do one of him moving into his new stadium. I don't think he'd do one at First Energy, though. No? Okay. That yeah, I don't think they a- would make First Energy available for that either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. We went through a bunch of free agents here uh, that the Browns have coming up. We argued about David Njoku and uh, Dearness Johnson. So good times here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast. We've got big stuff coming still all off season. So you want to be subscribed. And then also make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. So for Mary Kay, Ashley, Doug, and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.